But what was great about it, and I, I came to realize it was the perfect timing because I had five weeks, you know, I was off, I was reflecting, and I kind of had these two paths that were opening up for me. There was, there was coaching that I was just starting to embark on and explore. And then there was, you know, a more traditional path with the company. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding, and let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people overcome setbacks, challenges, and find their path to joy. Today on the podcast, we have Michael Rossi. After roles with the NHL and Nestle Canada, Michael embarked on an 18-year career with Adidas that ultimately saw him become the president of Adidas Canada all before the ripe age of 40. In 2020, you, Michael, announced you'd be leaving your post in 2021 and you would go on to create Voce Leadership. You're a leadership coach, a speaker, a board member of the Terry Fox Foundation. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jordan. Nice to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Michael, I want to kick it off. Is it true that you were a bat boy with the Toronto Blue Jays? <laughs> that is 100% true. I was, uh, as a 16-year-old, just about uh, in 1992, I had impeccable timing. That was my job through the tail end of high school and uh, got to be a first, uh, I had front row seats for two World Series uh, in Atlanta and then on the field uh, when we beat the Phillies as well. So pretty good start to the sports uh, industry for me. How, how did you get that job? Uh, I used to love, as a kid, I used to write a lot of letters. And so my dad and I had gone down in 1991 to a, they, they marketed it as a meet the Jays luncheon. And uh, they sort of whisked them up on stage, the, the Jays, they'd just come from Dunedin. They were literally, I think, in for 24 hours. And like, as soon as the luncheon ended, they were gone. And so I was a little miffed that it wasn't really a, an opportunity to meet anyone. So I wrote a letter to uh, the VP of marketing at the time, and he was great. He brought me down to a game, uh, toured me through the clubhouse, and we got talking. And I, I asked if they ever hired. And, th you know, this was well into the 91 season. Uh, but he said, yeah, you know, send me a cover letter and a resume, which at the time as a 15-year-old, I had no work experience, but I put something together. And like six months later, uh, I think it was February or March of 92. I got a call from the Jays to go down and interview. And um, yeah, which the interview was like, can you throw a baseball? Because I started warming up uh, down the right field line as a ball boy, actually, in 92. So seven years there. And uh, yeah, it's amazing what can happen when you write a letter. It, it truly is. And I was at an Easter Seals charity event about two months ago, and Joe Carter got an award. And he said that he always knows when somebody wasn't actually at the game, when they say they were one of the 600,000 people sitting below <laughs> the 500 level, but Michael, you were actually there. So <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Um, you know, I read you went to Ivy business school at Western. What potential did you see in yourself either late in high school or when you were at Western you know, to be honest with you, I was very, um, I was pretty shy. Um, I would say I lacked confidence and 
you know, I, I was interested in business. I knew that much. And, and having had a little taste of sports, I, I was curious about the business of sport. But, you know, going to Western, there was no guarantee at the time I was even going to get into the business school. You had to take two years of, you know, general arts to begin with and then apply. So I hoped that I would get in. Um, and then I just found, you know, my experience at university, I, I really, I guess, came out of my shell, gained some confidence, became more outgoing and almost, almost didn't apply to business school, actually. I was debating whether I should. I had started to see, you know, some of the people who were in business school a couple of years ahead of me, and they looked really driven. They looked really stressed. And I actually almost didn't apply. And I remember having coffee with uh, someone who was in the program and, and uh, they encouraged me, said it wasn't that bad. I would enjoy it. And uh, they persuaded me to apply. So it was a, a, a good thing I had that coffee, I guess. So when you graduated, you know, I know a lot of people that went to Ivy and, you know, a lot of the paths are consulting or investment mm -hmm. banking and you didn't take that path. What was it like as you graduated and got that first role? Uh, it was really uncomfortable, actually, because uh, and this is, you know, I'm, I'll date myself with this reference, but, you know, 20 plus years ago, there were very few sports business programs. There's a lot today, but there were very few back then. And Ivy really had no sort of formal conduit into the sports industry. So I was trying to find a role myself. Um, it's an uncomfortable feeling when your classmates are, are already lined up for their, their jobs. As you said, you know, investment banking, consulting. Um, people already had roles before they graduated. And uh, I always laugh. I was the valedictorian, but I was unemployed uh, at the time and didn't find my job till the summer, actually, after I graduated. So it was, it was a little nerve wracking. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to be patient and confident that you're going to find something. But ultimately, I took a job as an EA for a VP at the NHL. Uh, it was the stereotypical, like, get your foot in the door and, and get started. Um, and I ended up having, I think, four different roles in four years there. I was really lucky that I had uh, a leader who believed in me and kept giving me chances to grow. So it worked out, but <laughs> I, I didn't foresee that when I first uh, graduated, for sure. Do you have any advice as you look back on that period for people that are graduating uh, and looking for a path to follow their passion or purpose, but it's getting a little, um, you know, they're getting discouraged because mm -hmm. they don't have that role yet. I would say, and I've gone back and spoken at Ivy and at other uh, universities, and I, I'm always struck. I know I was stressed, but I feel like there's so much more pressure on, on young people today. Some of it's self-inflicted, but some of it is peers, parents, uh, just, you know, society. And I guess what I would say is like, there's so much time. And, you know, when I graduated, I think there, people took a more linear path to their career. It was, you know, you'd get into your profession, you'd work your way up. And that was it. I think now we're seeing so many people are, are jumping from one industry to a completely different one at some point in their career. And it's, it's much more common. So, you know, that first role, um, it's not a forever role. It's not going to define your career. I would say just if people always choose things where they're going to learn and grow, uh, you know, it'll, it'll never backfire. If you're in a position where you're going to have an opportunity to learn something new, 
get some exposure. Um, that's going to keep moving you forward. And you might surprise yourself with what you find you do like once you get in there. That's fantastic advice. How do you, how do you describe your, if we call it your quote unquote corporate career to people? And, you know, maybe you can walk us through um, how you eventually became the president of Adidas Canada, just some of the roles in there. I know there were some merger and acquisitions that took place with some smaller companies and you small it started at a smaller one that I believe became part of CCM, Reebok CCM. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, when I tell this story, the, the common thread that I clearly recognized is there was a lot of change. Uh, and every time change came along, it opened up great opportunities. And so I would say that my mindset, you know, I always, I, when I speak, I talk about this, like there are some people when they're confronted with change, I kind of have this, it's almost like a gas gauge on the far left is, you know, the people who sort of dig their heels in, uh, they cross their arms, they are like so resistant to change, they don't want any part of it. Then there's the people in the middle who they will eventually get on board, they will not be like the first people to move towards something, but they'll, they'll move in that direction. Then there's the people who get excited by change like their eyes sparkle and they start getting curious about what this might open up uh and then i think the ultimate is the people who actually create the change um so i share that because through my career like i left nestle um i went and got two years of packaged goods experience and it was fantastic experience the i didn't love the culture it was a it was a huge multinational um and so i left to I, it was a bit risky, I guess. I left a great corporate role at Nestle to go to a small entrepreneurial uh, licensed apparel company called Roger Edwards Sport. We did a lot of work with uh, with MLSE and the Leafs. Uh, we had licenses with Team Canada, but it was it was a humble business, um, and I loved it because it gave me so much exposure. I started in marketing. I then took on a role uh, overseeing the sales team, and then actually ended up running that division. And so it was. You know, it was small, but such an amazing test drive, I guess, to to oversee a small division, to oversee a warehouse, to oversee HR for a, a team. Um, and I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was it was a great experience to teach me for what was to come. Um, I did move on from that, you know, as as we merged with CCM. So ironically, when I left Nestle, I wanted to get that entrepreneurial experience. Six months in, CCM acquired us. 12 months after that, Reebok bought CCM, and the following year, Adidas bought Reebok. And, you know, that was, it was a whirlwind. But every time one of those acquisitions came through, something opened up. You know, generally, there are reorgs that happen. There are mergers of teams. And I think if you're, if you're open to change, if you thrive on change, um, and, you, you know, you do good work and show that you're capable, things open up. So, Every one of those was a turning point in a good way. And then I eventually moved over to Reebok. I moved into a sales role, getting footwear and apparel experience. So I moved out of the licensed business. It, it felt like it would probably be, I would hit a ceiling in that specific area. So it was great to get into footwear and apparel. That connected me to Adidas um, and call it the mothership. And then I remember our, our president at the time, I was the VP of the Reebok brand and the president of Adidas Canada left. Somewhat surprising to us. We, we didn't expect that he'd be leaving on that timeline. 
And so they kicked off the search for the new president. And, you know, I was pretty green. Um, I was a total dark horse in, in the race. Um, and I remember when they, like, I was on succession plans, but well down the road. And so, you know, they put me in the process and I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose. It's like, okay, I'm not expected to get this role. So I can be a little bit bold with my ideas. And I remember our, our president of North America at the time, Mark King, he had come over from TaylorMade and Mark was, he's just an incredible innovator. He, he has so much energy around new ideas, around youth um, and sort of different perspectives. And Mark ultimately made the decision and, and chose me as, uh, as the president of Adidas Canada. So um, sometimes it's timing, sometimes it's connection with the person who's making the decision. It sort of all fell into place nicely for me. Did you, since you were a dark horse, did somebody come to you and say, hey, you should throw your hat in the ring? Or was that Michael Rossi that's like, I'm going to do that? Uh, they, they did approach me. Um, so it was, you know, I guess I, I was on the executive team. So I was, you know, it made sense that mm -hmm. I would potentially be considered. Um, I think maybe in the first round, it was unclear if I would, if I would proceed, but I guess I, uh, I showed up well and, you know, the conversations were great. And I think every company is looking for new ideas, new ways of thinking. Um, and so if you can bring that, and I guess I did bring that, um, you know, that's, that's ultimately what people look for in leaders. Yeah, it's always interesting how great leaders uh, can sometimes start as that dark horse. You know, I read that you built and you enjoyed building an incredible culture at Adidas. And that was something I've heard some people I know that were, were there or in and around Adidas Canada mention. You know, why do you think that came to be? And how do you think as a leader, you were able to, you know, inspire that culture? I mean, to me, culture is everything and people are everything. And so it was, I remember the first day I took the role, um, you know, quite frankly, nothing had changed except for my title, but I was, uh, I was really overwhelmed at the beginning because it was like, wow, the responsibility, you know, we had 1800 employees, we had uh, 50 stores across the country, we had a distribution center. And so I think the, the enormity of the responsibility did hit me at first. But it was just, you know, I realized having conversations with people, like the ability to inspire people, to show them what's possible for the company, but for, for them as an individual, like that's one of the most amazing gifts you get as a leader is to be able to help someone see a new possibility for themselves and help them get there. And so I, I quickly realized like that was the magic of the role is I got to, I got to play around with, first of all, we had amazing brands, you know, we had Adidas and Reebok you know, way back when we had TaylorMade in the family, we had Rockport. And so, you know, fantastic brands, legacy brands, great people, great teams. And also like how lucky to have brands that are rooted in sport and fitness, which I love. And so it was like, okay, how do you kind of move the pieces around and ignite a belief in people and, and a passion in people? And so I think to me, it was just a lot of fun. Um, you know, we, we really did, you know, I, I, um, I guess it's, it's the genesis of the name of my new company, Voce, the idea that everyone has a voice. I remember the first time I did a town hall with our employees and I told the story of writing letters to the editor and, you know, going from this shy kid who was like so afraid to speak up 
to being on stage as the president of Adidas. It was an amazing journey for me. And I wanted other people to feel like that was possible. You know, that if they had ideas, they should speak them up and talk about them and we would help them bring them to life. And when you see people start to believe in themselves and you, you see teams start to come together and believe that things are possible, it's amazing. It's so energizing and it, it sort of snowballs. And so, you know, that to me was really important to build a culture that way. And I, I'm proud that I think that was the legacy that I left. So take me back there for a minute. You were writing letters at one time to the Blue Jays, but letters to the editor. Did you do that? And what what was your interest doing that? Um, I, I don't want to misrepresent this. It wasn't like heavy uh, political opinions or anything, but I would write letters to like the Toronto Star sports section or Toronto nice. Sun or, or like the, the TV guide, um, primarily about sports. But, you know, it was it was just... I think as a kid, like I was pretty aware of what was going on in the world around me. And I love the fact that, you know, this is probably going back to like a dot matrix printer at the time, like printing these letters. But I love the fact that like my voice counted just the way anybody else's did. And, and they, whoever it was I was writing to, they didn't know it was like a 14 year old kid writing this letter. You know, they just saw a name. And, and I loved that that was kind of, you know, everyone could speak their opinions um, and, and was counted as an equal kind of through that process. So I think I just started to gain, uh, I started out much more comfortable writing letters than public speaking for sure. But over time became more comfortable um, speaking as well. Cause it's, it's really the ability to inspire people that inspires me. The ability to inspire people that inspires you. I love that. And to share something, I, I was a shy kid too. In, in year one and two, I was pretty shy. And now here we are, I'm interviewing you on a podcast. And it was a lot of repetition, repetition and putting yourself out there. So, you know, let's speak about what you just said. So it's 2020, you're in the pandemic and I know you then announced you're going to make the change, I believe, and you uh, launched Voce Leadership in 2021. When did you start thinking about what could be next for Michael? Uh, it was probably, it goes back quite a few years. And, you know, I, I know some people, uh, the timing makes it look like I'm part of the great resignation and, and COVID caused this. But the reality is many years ago, uh, it was my 15 year sabbatical with Adidas. So I, I had five weeks off. Um, and even before that, I'm one of those people like I love milestones, you know, if it's a certain number of years in a role or with a company, I get super reflective. If you look on my LinkedIn post, like you'll find those posts around milestones. And so I was thinking, you know, at that time, I was five years in the role leading Adidas. Um, I loved the role, but I was starting to feel like my learning curve was was flattening a bit. And I started thinking about, okay, what could be next? And, you know, one path would have been go to another market with Adidas. I could have maybe gone to Portland or Germany or somewhere and kept growing with the company. Um, I could have gone into a similar role with another company here in Canada. And I, you know, as I thought about those, for some reason that wasn't kind of calling me. I didn't feel a real draw towards either of those options. And I started having conversations with coaches around coaching. I had hired coaches for some of our talents. I'd never had one myself and I didn't really understand the profession. 
and what it was all about. But every conversation kind of nudged me a little further. I started learning about programs um, to get certified as a coach. I signed up for one and I figured, you know what, let me just try this out. Let me see if I like it. Uh, it was not a commitment that I knew right away I was going to move into it, but I figured I'll try it out. And I distinctly remember like it was a, a September weekend. It was a Friday actually in Toronto. We did three day courses in a, in a hotel meeting room. And like that first day, I'm in a room with 30 people, all, you know, some were moving into coaching. Some just wanted to gain the skill. Um, but we were all in that experience together. And I just, I lit up. Like I was absolutely, I felt so alive there, um, so connected, started to really feel, and it sounds like, you know, very um, aspirational, but I started to feel like I was connecting with my purpose. And when I connected to that, uh, I was hooked. And so I went through the, the five weekends um, and just kept, like it just kept building. So then I decided, okay, and that was, I guess, 2019. Then I decided, okay, I'm going to become certified. So Ironically, before COVID, I was worried about certification because I traveled a lot for work and I thought I'm probably going to miss these calls. And, you know, if you missed two calls, you were out of the program. Well, wow. then COVID hits and, and I'm like tied to my chair, you know, not going anywhere for the year. So it worked out beautifully. And I, I ended up coaching a number of people through COVID as part of my certification process. Um, so it's, you know, it was such a, an interesting perspective going through COVID it was tough because I was doing coaching calls like at seven, eight in the morning or six o'clock at night, then dealing with COVID as president of Adidas Canada and the, and the pressures of protecting our people and the business. So in some ways it was draining, but in some ways it was incredibly energizing. And so it, it was, you know, there was a lot of work leading up to the decision to finally leave and form my company. Um, and it was kind of just, there, you know, taking one more step, one more step and each time I did, I, I felt like, yeah, I keep going. This, this feels pretty good. And I also heard um, during, I, I believe it was like after 15 years, you got a little bit of a sabbatical from your role. And, and I, did that give you a better opportunity being a way to really reflect? Oh, it, it was ironic. So we, my wife and I uh, went to Italy at the beginning of the, the sabbatical. And so we were renewing our vows. We're on the Amalfi Coast. And this, you know, sabbaticals, the way we kind of negotiated it with my leader at the time was like, you're totally disconnected. Like, we will not text you. We will not email you. We will not call you. And literally the first day, like an hour before I'm renewing my vows, my boss texts me and says, can we talk? And I'm like, oh, man. So I, I said to him, like, can it wait till tomorrow? Because I'm literally about to walk down the aisle again. And um, we, so we talked the next day and there was a role elsewhere in the company that uh, they wanted me to consider. And my first reaction was like, what terrible timing. Like I'm, I'm on sabbatical. I'm supposed to be like clearing my head and now I'm totally consumed with work. But what was great about it? And I, I came to realize it was the perfect timing because I had five weeks, you know, I was off, I was reflecting and I kind of had these two paths that were opening up for me. There was, there was coaching that I was just starting to embark on and explore. And then there was, you know, a more traditional path with the company. And I remember I, I went for coffee with um, a trusted advisor of mine and I was explaining these options to her. And she said to me, she said, you know, when you talk about coaching, your eyes light up. 
I can just see it. And when you describe this other path, it doesn't seem like you have that same spark. And I, I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, you know, the, the, it's just funny how the timing worked. It was the perfect time to reflect and make a pretty big decision. And uh, I was lucky I had the five weeks to kind of think it over. Oh, and there's no, I'm sure there's no better place on earth than the Amalfi Coast to uh, reflect. I haven't been there, but I've heard. <laughs> it was some pretty inspiring scenery for sure. So, you know, you mentioned something about your face, face lighting up and, you know, maybe it was your energy spiking, but what was it like to, you know, launch Voce leadership and, and, you know, where does that, that name come from? You, you said, you said about everyone has a voice. So, so I'm, I'm part Italian. And uh, so, I, you know, when I was thinking of what I wanted to call it, what I wanted the brand to represent, you know, so a lot of coaches, their company name is, is their name. So it could have been like Michael Rossi coaching and consulting. I didn't like that. And when I went through that whole coaching process, the, the courses and the work I was doing, like this idea of my purpose being around everyone having a voice and I can play a role in helping them sort of discover it and use it. Uh, it just felt totally inspiring to me. I connected to it. So I thought, okay, how do I come up with a name? Uh, and so tapping into my Italian heritage, Voce is Italian for voice. And so that became the name. I started, you know, doodling and drawing it and I liked it and uh, started to build it and had a great uh, opportunity to build the branding with a, a good friend of mine who helped with, you know, the visuals, the logo, um, the brand identity. And so it was, I would say like, it was a, an amazing experience to create something entirely my own, uh, but also pretty scary. I mean, when you, when you leave a corporate career, um, when you leave an established company and brand and, you know, you have that credential, which, you know, at the time I used to tell people like when you work at Adidas, you can, you can pretty much get a meeting with anyone because you've got that company name behind you. And so all of a sudden feeling like that safety net was gone and realizing like, okay, I have to now build this myself. Um, little nerve wracking. Some days at the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, I'm trying to set up my own email address and trying to create an invoice and like all these things that I had taken for granted in a large company because we had teams that did all these things. And now I'm learning like from the ground up all these different skills and tasks, but I love it. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, like feeling like my learning curve was starting to flatten and all of a sudden, like my learning curve just went, you know, totally vertical again. And it was just every one of those things, though they're frustrating, um, I just look at them now and it's like, okay, this is the first time I'm doing this. I get to learn and get better. And so it's, I've really enjoyed the process uh, over the last year. All right. So, so let's get real on some things here. You went from president of Adidas Canada to launching your own executive and leadership coaching business. And you can correct me if that's not how, how you kind of work, refer to it. We live in this world where everything is uncertain and unexpected, right? And, and the podcast name, it's not a straight line. I imagine you had friends and family that were like, Michael, what are you doing? How did you respond to that? And how would you advise other people listening to respond to things like that? Yeah, I found it was a really interesting experience. 
because what, what I discovered was the people who know me best, you know, when I would tell them what I was doing, they'd have a smile on their face and they'd kind of start to nod and they would say, this is so you, like, this is perfect for you and you're going to be amazing at it and you're going to love it. So I think the people who genuinely know what makes me tick and got to see me, whether it was, you know, speaking or leading or working with people, like people who know me know that's my passion and they knew I would figure it out. I think some people who maybe didn't know me quite as well, you know, we, we all, I think, gravitate towards titles and companies, you know, they're easy ways to sort of reference someone and maybe categorize them. Uh, and so some people that stuff does matter. And I, I get it. I mean, I was very proud of, of my role. Um, but I think people who didn't maybe understand what was going to fulfill me, they wouldn't understand why I would make a move like that. It didn't make sense. You know, some people would look and say, geez, you could have gone to another company and had another run as president. Why would you do this? Like, this is what people do when they retire. They become a consultant. And I was just, you know, I, I would kind of laugh and I, it's okay. I, I had to know in my heart that this was the right move. Um, and I think now that people have seen it start to unfold, I think there's a, a greater understanding that, yeah, okay, this was a, a pretty good move for this guy. And, and he's aligned with something that really, he really cares about. And I know there's something else uh, in your life and career that, that aligns with what you care about. I mentioned you are a board member of an incredible organization, the Terry Fox Foundation. I read that you were an executive producer on um, the, the program that was on CBC. I think it was called The Power of One. What is how does philanthropy fit into any everything for you in terms of where you see your energy spikes or where your purpose is? Uh, I mean, for me, um, I remember. I remember actually. I spoke with Richard Petty, who was he was the head of MLSC years back, and and I had a coffee with him when I was first uh, appointed president. And I remember Richard saying, "You know, the first couple of years in that role, you're you're going to just." it's going to take two years to figure out where the washroom is. You know, there's a lot to learn, but after two years, you're going to start to think about your legacy and what matters. And it was so true when he said that. And so, you know, the history with Terry Fox and Adidas um, 42 years ago, when Terry set out to run across Canada, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote letters. And so maybe there's a connection there. Like he wrote a letter to Adidas and it was so humble. Um, he asked if we would consider he actually wanted it like just a discount on shoes and gear would have been acceptable. Um, I love that letter so much, by the way, we had it blown up on a, uh, on a wall and we created a, a Terry Fox meeting room at Adidas and we had that letter and it, to me, it just represented, you know, first of all, imagination about what was possible, trying to create a, a change in the world. Um, you know, all the things that I connect to. And I, I think, the way that Terry as, as a young adult felt like he could change the world. Um, you know, that's the story that I connect to. And so Adidas provided Terry with the shoes 42 years ago. We maintained that relationship with the family and the foundation uh, throughout that time. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got to work on the 40th anniversary collection. So we re-released the shoe, which actually is behind me here. Um, we re-released the shoe, we developed some t-shirts, and we raised $1.6 million for the foundation. 
which was wow. you know a record-setting year. The broadcast you mentioned last year, uh, you know, in the middle of COVID, trying to get uh, performers and people together, and we we developed a, a one-hour documentary. Again, it it raised an incredible amount and was you know the single biggest day of fundraising for the foundation in its history, aside from Run Day. Um, and I think just you know, unfortunately, I lost my father to cancer, and that was you know over ten years ago now, and you know, when it comes back to legacy, you try and think of how do you honor someone that you love? Um, how do you try and create a better future for others so they don't have to go through that experience? Maybe they have better treatments, better outcomes. Um, and, you know, to me, the ability to carry on the tradition and, and connection that Adidas had with the family and to be able to tie it to a personal cause of mine that I cared about it was, it was just sort of perfect. And uh, I joined the board four years ago. Um, and it's just a meaningful way to, to give back outside of work. And I think a lot of people put so much pressure on their career and on work to deliver all the purpose in their life. It's like, we've, you know, you've got to love your job. It's got to be totally fulfilling. And it's got to be, be all of that. And the reality is there are different parts of our life that can give us fulfillment. And to me, being able to work with a charity that I really respect and admire and, you know, find fulfillment outside of, quote unquote, the, the four walls of work. I think that's a real gift uh, to be able to, to connect to something like that. What would be your thoughts for, um, let's say, somebody's in their 20s listening to this of how they could, could get involved with, with causes they care about? I mean, first of all, I'd try it, like, you know, reach out. And, you know, when it comes to charities, first of all, um, charities are often struggling in terms of resources. They, they welcome volunteers. Um, they need new ideas. They need new energy. You know, charities, it's a tough slog when you're a not-for-profit and you're just trying to make a difference. And, you know, quite frankly, you're competing with other charities for donations and fundraising. And so I would say if someone has an aspiration to make a difference, if there's a cause that they see, or maybe you don't see the organization supporting the cause that matters to you, and, and it's an opportunity to start it. Uh, but I would say just get involved. And, you know, the ability to work your way in to an organization, maybe just as a volunteer or on a committee, get exposure, learn about the organization, and then potentially play a bigger role as time goes on. Um, just try it, you know, reach out, write a letter, write an email, uh, and start somewhere. Love that. And, and what about if, if an executive is listening to this? I know being at the Prince Margaret Cancer Foundation, we rely on people like yourself that have a network, have the time to give back, have the time to spend some time with their ideas. But I'm sure a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm so busy in my job and so busy with family or personal life. Yeah. I can't do it. I mean, it is hard. Time, time is, you know, it's precious. Um, and I certainly understand, you know, commitments to friends, family, other things. I guess what I would say is, you know, if you fast forward 40 years to the end of your career, how meaningful will that report or that accomplishment be, and that's not to diminish a career. I think it can be very rewarding. It can be meaningful, 
but I do think that finding ways to help others, um, I think that's what you're going to remember and be proud of. And so if you can find some time, I, you know, for me, it re-energizes me. So it's, it's, I, it's not totally selfless. I enjoy the work. It gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me a sense that I'm contributing, which I then take that energy back into my work and, and do other things. So, you know, I think it's, it's a very personal thing. It, it does require prioritizing and, and carving out time. It is a sacrifice. You know, there are times when I'm on calls at board meetings and, you know, it, it does take away time from other things you could be doing. But if it is something that matters to you, um, I think it matters in the end that you put the time in and make the effort. Yeah. And it's especially if it's something that matters, matters to you. And so, you know, with what you're doing now, if we go back to Voce leadership and all about finding, you know, purpose and being a coach, speak to us about why or, or, you know, why you think it's important, purpose is important and what you're trying to accomplish with some of the clients you're working with. Yeah, to me, it, you know, I, uh, it goes back to, I guess I'll, I'll say this with the inverse. When I think of someone having a voice and not using it, and, a, you know, voice is a metaphor. It doesn't mean you need to be a public speaker. But when there's something inside you, when you feel like you could be capable of something, you could give something to the world, but you're reluctant to try, or there's, you know, you feel stuck, or there's a barrier that you just can't get over. You know, that to me is so, it's sad to think that someone would live their life and not let that come out, not find a way to realize that purpose that they feel for themselves. And so as a coach, to be able to help someone, and it, you know, the, the beauty of coaching is like the potentials in this person, it's all them, it's their skill, it's their drive, it's their inspiration, it's their belief. As a coach, you're kind of there beside them and you're just helping them get over that hurdle you know, we all struggle with whether it's self-confidence, imposter syndrome, um, you know, negative self-talk. These things are very common and a coach can help you look at it from a different perspective and often even just saying it out loud. You know, when you have to explain to your coach why you think you can't do something, it sounds ridiculous. Like as soon as you say it out loud, you realize it's BS and you can move forward. But, you know, often we don't have safe places in our life. You know, we, we all have spouses, friends, family that we can talk to about some things, but often we compartmentalize. You, you talk about career with one person, you talk about family relationships with someone else. And a coach is this really interesting, trusted person. It's high, you know, it's all confidential. You can share what you want. And so I find that, you know, that relationship really allows you to explore your fears, your insecurities, um, and then move forward. And so to be able to help someone in any way, when I see a client who takes that step and does something that they wanted to do, they thought they could do, and then they do it, like it's, it's amazing. It's a great feeling. It's really gratifying and fulfilling to, to watch someone grow. Yes, and, and I, I can vouch for the power of coaching. Uh, someone I had on earlier, Rishi Bahari, I did some coaching with and because of him and saying, I want to try podcasting. That's why this, this, this started. And uh, Michelle Ferrari as well, who's been on the podcast has, has been a great coach coach for me as well. 
what what impact, Michael, do you want to have with Voce leadership in say 2022? Have you or or outside of that? Like, is there something on your mind where you're like, this year I'm very I'm prioritizing kind of getting this accomplished? Well, when I when I launched the website, uh, I had identified three pillars of business that I was focused on. So co- the one-to-one coaching, which is where I focused first. I wanted to start building clients and, and get that rolling. Um, I did want to do leadership workshops. You know, one of the things that I thought I was going to miss was being on a team. And it's actually proven to be very true. I loved leading teams. I loved bringing people together. And it is a little bit lonely when, you know, you're a a sole proprietor of a business and a lot of your work is one-to-one. So leadership workshops, I actually did my first in-person leadership workshop last week. So that was a big goal for this year. And and I look forward to doing more of those. And then speaking, you know, I, I, one of the things I loved most about my role at Adidas was like, it, it put me on stage to address whether it was the company or go speak at a conference. And so I knew that I wanted to uh, get back into speaking. I've started doing some virtual speaking engagements, but now starting to get into some in-person ones. And, you know, I guess the, the goal of it all, to me, it's, it goes back to inspiring people. I look at those three pillars as very distinct ways of helping others. They each offer an opportunity to inspire or teach or show different perspectives. Um, and so I think just, you know, I always used to love And I still have had this experience where someone will say, you know, I I saw you speak at such and such event and you said this. And I I had someone actually write me a note recently and say, you gave me this advice like five years ago at a conference. I I had I had forgotten that I did. But to to help someone, even just a a little bit to, you know, maybe go a little bit further down a path. uh, That's to me what it's all about. And so if, if through one of those avenues, I'm able to help people. Um, that's the goal. There's no, like, I kind of like that there's no hard metrics to the business. You know, it's, it's as big as I want to get it, I guess is, you know, but it's more about helping people. It's not about profit loss or margins anymore, which I really enjoy. Yes. And I can see you as you just spoke about that, how you light up, how you smile. And honestly, when I read, because I had never met you and we've still only met virtually but I had heard about you in the sports marketing industry. And when I read that you were leaving Adidas to go start this, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Like, good for you. And so like you inspired, I think a lot of people that are like, that would think, Hey, that's, that's not the right line for Michael to go on. That's not what you should be doing. And isn't it amazing how it's not what you should be doing until you actually do it and until you experience some success with it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, when we first met, you know, the name of the podcast is it's exactly the way I view careers and, you know, it isn't a straight line. And and for that matter, like sometimes you have to go back. Sometimes something is not for you, but you only learn that by trying it, by doing it. And you know, even now trying to figure out which parts of the business I love and in what ratio, like it's, it's all a learning experience. It's trial and error, but uh, you're right. You, you, you can sit and uh, imagine all that you want. You really don't know until you do it. Absolutely. And the last question I have, Michael, is when throughout your career, you've of course, like everyone experienced challenges or 
I'm sure when you jumped into coaching, there was some imposter syndrome. You've been through a lot of stress and pressure. What are some of those things in your life that you do to regulate your stress and pressure? And yeah, what do you do in that in those? Um, I guess a few ways to answer that. Um, first of all, like just from health and fitness, I think, you know, I still play sports. Uh, I run, I try to stay active. I've, I've skipped out on the gym through COVID and, and I'm, I think, getting to the point where I'm ready to go back. But I just think, first of all, you know, physical exercise to me has always been part of how I regulate, how I, um, obviously there, there's a benefit physically to doing it, but also like when I go play slow pitch on a Tuesday night, I'm not thinking about business for two hours and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm out in fresh air, I'm with friends and that to me is, I'm all about balance. I, I think balance in life is, is key. Doesn't mean it's perfectly in balance, but it means you're making time for other things. So keeping those things in my life has always helped. And I'm proud that actually through my career, like I never stopped playing team sports. I, I was still on those teams, even with a busy schedule, because it mattered to me. Um, simple things like breathing. So, you know, more specifically, if you're going into something stressful, um, breathing, just taking a deep breath, being aware of the stress and, and, you know, sort of gathering yourself and then visualization. Like I think, um, you know, if I ever had to speak, I mean, I rehearse a ton. Um, I work at it, but visualizing the outcome, visualizing the room, visualizing who's there, how you want to come across, you know, it's, I really do believe when you do that and then you get into that meeting or that presentation or whatever it is, like you're already going to have the confidence. It feels like you've already done this. And so I think, you know, preparation is important. It doesn't take away all the stress, but it certainly does help you feel more present and ready. Yes. Yes, for sure. It does. So where can people find you if they're interested in coaching or if they want to, I know you make some great reflection LinkedIn posts and you had one, I think about a month or two ago, where, where are you active, Michael? Uh, people are certainly uh, welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to uh, get people into the network and, and share both ways, uh, share thoughts and, and things. So LinkedIn, I am there, uh, Voce Leadership. So it's V-O-C-E leadership.com is the website and you can find my contact information there. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I love having conversations with people. And I think one of the interesting things now being on my own is um, you, you need to build a new community and, and, you know, even just meeting people, whether it's other coaches, speakers, everyone's trying to find their way and, uh, and making a connection and, and maybe being able to help each other with a referral or something. Um, we need that. And so I've enjoyed starting to build a bit of a different network uh, in this. And, and so I would welcome new connections for sure. Yes. And I think in your post, you said something like it's amazing when you strip away the title and the company. What was that you said? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually the name in front of the title that matters. And I think, you know, learning about myself, learning take away the title, take away the company, what's left. And, you know, other people see it, they see what you bring. And so tapping into that yourself and having confidence in yourself that, you know, you ultimately are what goes from one job to the next. You are the one that brings the skills, the traits and, and the uniqueness. And you got to believe in yourself. And it's so true. And I think we all have to remember that it's your name 
that matters. Okay, well, before I let you go, it's May 13th. This will probably come out at the end of May. You said you're huge Leafs fans. Do you want to make any any <laughs> comment on what you think is going to happen Saturday night? Uh, well, you know what? I do. I I believe that this is the year that they will overcome. I think we're going to get through uh, Game Seven. I think the the Scotia Bank will be rocking on Saturday, and I think we'll be watching hockey for at least a few more weeks in Toronto here. So I've been wrong before, but I still believe. That's great. Well, Michael Rossi, thank you so much for joining me on It's Not a Straight Line. Thanks, Jordan. This was a pleasure. There you have it. Thanks for checking out It's Not a Straight Line. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and if you can, leave me a review provide me some feedback and I wish you all the best as you find your way in your career in life.